0: I had the privilege, if you have no idea who this bald guy is, I had the privilege of uh, running this ministry for like eight years, and I loved every minute of it. And I would tell my leaders, anybody who served with me, you heard me say this over and over again, I love this ministry, I love being here, and I must confess, it's its sad, uh, leaving but it is great to be back and to know that you guys are well cared for you've got a great leadership team ven is leading you well and i just pray god's richest blessings over this ministry thank you for having me back and being willing to listen uh to this old guy one more time tonight uh, i was asked to speak on the question of does god exist and i know that many of you have heard me speak on this subject in a variety of different occasions or maybe you've read one of my books or something like that and so I was really praying and just saying, you know, God, I'd love to come and address this question in a new, fresh way. And, and, and in that, I was also just thinking over all these years as I've thought on this question. You know, I've been, a, I've been a Christian for 25 years. I've had the privilege of doing a BA, a master's degree, and a PhD. I've had a lot of time from not only academics but writing books and thinking about this question uh, how would I address, does God exist? And as many of you know, when I when I was at uh, Northview, before I came here, I was running a ministry called Apologetics Canada. Apologetics is a Greek word meaning to give an answer or a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus, as it's talked about in the Bible. And that's what I was doing. I was going and speaking at universities and churches and conferences, sharing that we have good reason to place our hope in Jesus. And and uh, it just so happened I was going to be running a conference with Northview, and they said, you know, what if, what if and I found out they didn't have a young adults pastor and, and ultimately led into me doing both Apologetics Canada and the young adults ministry. But then I felt like God was calling me back into full-time Apologetics Canada. This was before COVID and everything hit. And so now I am I am back full-time, and I've been for the last two years back full-time with Apologetics Canada, and God has been richly blessing this ministry as I've had the privilege of encouraging people uh, across Canada. Northview is still my home church. My wife and my kids and I uh, attend here at Northview. Love this church and pray again God's richest blessings over it. So tonight, I want to come at this question, does God exist from perhaps a little bit different perspective? Before I get into it, though, this is an important subject. And I just want to take a moment just to pray over it, because I'll just be honest, even as I was thinking about this and about how I would present this tonight, it was a struggle for me to, to really go, what, what is the best approach and how do, I, how do I speak on this? So I'm really just asking that the Holy Spirit would just lead me tonight as I, as I address this and I pray that it ministers to you. God, as we just gather tonight and just take a moment to think about one of the most important questions that we can ask. Do, do you exist? What is life all about? Why am I here? God, I just ask that you give us eyes to see tonight, but I also pray that you would give us hearts that would be attentive, that would be listening, and that, God, we would do more than just think about these things intellectually, but we would put them into practice in our lives. Amen. This is a, an interesting season in my life. Particularly as I think about the question, does God exist? In a, a couple weeks, I am going to, Lord willing, have the opportunity to fulfill a, a lifelong dream. In a couple weeks, my my wife and my kids, I um, I have two boys, William and Tristan. They're 12 and 14, and we are going to be hopping on a plane and we're going to be heading to Nepal in April and we are going to be hiking to Mount Everest Base Camp together. And this is something that I have been dreaming about for a long time. Uh, I've had the opportunity to do uh, lots of cool stuff in my life, but but being able to do these sorts of things with your kids is incredibly meaningful to me. I remember very distinctly when I was eight years old. See, I, I grew up in, as many of you know, and some of you have no idea who I am. I grew up in a, in a broken family. I grew up without a father, and I remember when I was eight, I was invited by a friend. His name was Justin Hall. I still remember and still in contact with him. He invited me to Boy Scouts, and I went out to this Boy Scout thing. The very first thing we did with Boy Scouts is they took us snow camping, and I'm I'm camping in the snow, freezing my rear off, you know. And on the one hand I'm thinking, why am I here? And the other hand I'm thinking, this is so cool. And and the thing that was so cool to me was this was the first time in my life that I had really ever not only done something adventurous, but this was the first time in my life that I had ever had men in, in my life at any level investing in me at all. And I remember while I was sitting in the snow, I began to hear these These uh, stories about mountains that are even greater than the mountains here in the Pacific Northwest, and that there are these mountains called the Himalayas, and within the Himalayas is the world's tallest mountain, Mount Everest, and that you can hike to the base camp. And I remember thinking at eight years old, how cool would it to be the kind of dad that would take his kids on an adventure like that? and and that really seeded a dream for me that i could be the kind of dad that i never had and and that is an adventure that i have been on for a long time but i would actually say that the seed of that began all the way back then but that seed never really took root and never really went anywhere until i got serious in my life about the question does god exist This was a foundational question for me that I wrestled with when I was 17 years old. I was at a conference, and there was a speaker that was talking. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My mom began to go to church. She started bringing me to church. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I've always believed that God exists. Even growing up in a broken, non-Christian family, God existing has always been a no-brainer to me. But the thing that that was the question mark for me was whether or not I cared. Who cares whether or not God exists? That that was was the question I was wrestling with. But I remember when I was 17, I got real with myself, and I had this conversation where I'm talking with the Lord, and and God's like, hey, do you actually believe I exist, Andy? And I said, yeah, I I do. And then then I remember so distinctly in my spirit, God just saying, then why don't you live like that? Why don't you live like it's true? And and this was an important concept to me because I remember thinking, I want something different. I have tasted the broken life. And I remember when I came to God, I said, God, I wanna taste something better. I wanna taste something good. I wanna know what life looks like when it flourishes. Can you show me that? And I said, God, I'm not just gonna have this conversation about whether or not you exist. I'm actually gonna do something about it. I'm actually gonna act on this question. And that's what I really wanna get at tonight. The question whether or not God exists is not some sort of intellectual, philosophical, theological uh, question. This is a foundational question about how you're going to build your life. It's a foundational question about what are the choices that are actually going to matter to you. Because I had a misconception, and I pray if you hear anything tonight, this is what you would at least take this away. I had, this, I had this idea that when I was 17 and I said, yes, God, I believe you existed, I thought that this was kind of like this one-time like answer sort of thing, and then it would just kind of story arc everything in my life, and then poof, I would be the kind of dad I've always wanted to be. I would experience, you know, the, the kind of flourishing or good life that I believed was out there. It's just not the way It works. The question, does God exist, is a question that you just don't answer one time. It was interesting, this, this last week, my kids told me, they said, Dad, with this trip we're doing, they said it would be really cool to film it. And I was like, okay, I'm shocked that you'd want to film it. Let's, let's film it. And, and part of filming it, I was thinking it would be kind of neat to show that I have been hiking. You, don't, you just don't just one day go, I'm going to take my kids to Everest. Right, I, I've been hiking with my kids since they were babies. The, the, my kids don't know anything other than hiking. They hike all the time. We're going to be hiking this weekend. We're constantly in the outdoors. That's all. That's what they've what they've known. And I just I have these beautiful pictures. I was weeping this week as I was just looking through these pictures of these babies, children you know, teenagers that I have that had the privilege of walking with in life. And I'm looking through all these, qu- these pictures, and I'm realizing to myself, does God exist is a question that I was answering daily, hourly. Who am I going to be today? What is the foundation I'm going to build my life on today? It's not a one-time question. If you have your Bible, you could turn with me. This is something that Jesus gets at in his first sermon. It's a beautiful sermon that I have been reading a lot lately. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I'm going to be looking at chapter 7, the very end of it, in verse 24. I currently, with Apologetics Canada, we have a grant to do a video series called Branded, where we're talking on the subject of identity personal identity, communal identity, and spiritual identity, and we're looking at it from Jesus' sermon. Which, by the way, let me just make a quick little plug here. With Apologetics Canada, we have a leadership summit coming up next weekend, and we have like three spots left because we had to move the time because of COVID, or the date because of COVID, and it it opened up some spots. So if anybody's interested in growing as a leader, come talk to me afterwards. I could could tell you more about it. It's a um, it's a, it's a virtually free event to come and participate in. Okay, commercial's over. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving this sermon on identity. And at the end, he hones in on this idea of our spiritual identity. Who are we? What is the foundation you're going to build your life on? And Jesus ultimately says, listen, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the fool, and there's the foolish, and there's the wise. Which are you? The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here's my point, and here are the two things that I'd like to talk to you about tonight with regard to the question, does God exist? The first one is this. Does God exist is foundational to your life. It's not just a question. It is building the foundation upon which you're going to build everything else. And the second is this, a storm is coming. A storm is coming, and perhaps a storm has already hit. As we were praying tonight with the the leaders beforehand, we were hearing from many people that were dealing with all sorts of things in their lives right now. Maybe they know somebody who has cancer. Maybe they have a parent that has cancer. Maybe you're going through cancer, or maybe you've lost a job, maybe you've lost a loved one, maybe you've had a breakup. I don't know what it is, but perhaps you're in a storm. But I can guarantee you this, if you're not in one yet, you will be. A storm is coming. And when that storm comes, it is going to help you to see, for better or worse, the foundation upon which you built your life. But here's the challenge. See, when I was your age, I thought that does God God exist is a question that I needed to answer and that this was all about me and this was about my life and about how I was gonna build my life sort of thing and what I wanted. The older I get, the more I realize that does God exist isn't a question that you're just answering. It's It's a foundation that you're building that is going to also support your spouse. It's also gonna support your children. It's a foundation in which your friends couldn't find shelter during a storm in their life when maybe they've built on sand and everything in their life has eroded and you are the one safe place that they could go to. Or if you've ever just thought about as I was looking through all these pictures about what kind of a foundation have I built for my children. What kind of foundation have i built and will it withstand the storms that you and i experience i, I don't know if you've ever been in a storm where you've actually been fearful that you're not going to make it through this i actually went through a storm with my kids we were in thailand of all places and we were on a lake we're zooming along we had gone caving and we were like this huge lake and we're coming back and you can see that this these storm clouds start rolling in and We can see where we're going, but the storm clouds are coming and they're like just closing in on where we need to go. And if they close all the way, like this guy's not even gonna know where he's going. The rain starts coming down, the wind starts coming, the waves become bigger and bigger. But the worst part, cause I'm like, okay, if we crash and I have to swim, no big deal. But the worst part was the lightning. The lightning is crashing all around us. And I'm like, I am going to be electrocuted in a lake. Like that's how I'm gonna die. And, and, like, there, there's, like, tourists with us, and people are crying. My kids are crying, you know, and, and, and everybody's absolutely terrified. I remember looking, though, at the boat driver. He looked like he's, he like, rock solid, man, no problem. He's just, like, driving this thing. But it was funny because when we get to the end and we get off this boat, I said to the driver because I'm thinking, man, this guy's got nervous steel. I was like, man, how many times have you had to experience that? I bet, I bet you're pretty used to it. And he had, like, these, like, wiry eyes as he looked at me. He's like, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's great. That's, I almost died, and you were terrified. But that, that, that nerves of steel was actually fear of death going on there. But it was one of those moments, right, as a dad, then I think you can appreciate this, right, where you're like, man, as a dad, my decisions are impacting my children. The foundation I'm building is impacting My kids. So what kind of a foundation are you building? What kind of foundation are you building, and will it actually hold up? As I look at this question of does God exist, listen, I I just want to break it down for you really clearly of the two choices that you have, particularly tonight I'm coming at this from a Christian perspective, so I want to just juxtapose the atheist perspective, so a non- Answering no to the question versus answering yes to the question, does God exist? There's a philosopher by the name of John Gray who refers to the new atheist today as the soft atheist, and I think he's right. In my time in academics, what I have seen is that there's the hard atheism and then there's the soft atheism, and I would argue that the hard atheism is the real atheism, And what I find with the most philosophers I interact with is they're just trying to get themselves out of the hard atheism and trying to soften it up. But there's an atheist by the name of Alex Rosenberg who says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give it to you straight. Here's the foundation. He wrote a book called The Atheist Guide to Reality, Enjoying Life Without Illusion. And just so you understand, this isn't just some atheist. He's the professor and chair of philosophy at Duke University, and the Duke Center for Philosophy of Biology. In my time speaking at universities, my time presenting at different conferences, this is the kind of worldview that I have seen over and over and over and over and over again. The Boston Globe said this, by the way, about his book. He said, it's a a tough test of the intellectual metal of the armchair atheist and those teetering between faith and committing to life without it. Here's what he says. Rosenberg says, Is there a God? No. What's the nature of reality? What physics says it is. What's the purpose of the universe? There is none. What's the meaning of life? Ditto. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. Does prayer work? Of course not. Is there a soul? Is it immortal? Are you kidding? Is there free will? Not a chance. What happens when we die? Everything pretty much goes on as before ex- except us. What is the difference between right and wrong, good and bad? There is no moral difference between them. As I'm reading, remember, this, these aren't just words. This is a foundation you're going to build your life on. This is going to affect the choices that you're going to make and how you're going to see everything, including the war that's raging in Ukraine right now. Do you think that there's no moral difference between them? Why should I be moral? Because it makes you feel better than being immoral. Is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid, or anything else you don't like forbidden, permissible, or sometimes obligatory? Anything goes. What is love and how can I find it? Love is the solution to a strategic interaction problem. Don't look for it, it'll find you when you need it. Does history have any meaning or purpose? It is full of sound and fury, but signifies nothing. Does the human past have any lesson for our future? Fewer and fewer, if it ever had any to begin with. If you want, you can build your life on that foundation. In fact, I would actually say this. If you want, you could even come up with convincing reasons to believe that that's true. I've seen it. I've seen people over and over again, give all sorts of convincing reasons, all sorts of ideas from physics to biology about why that's the actual worldview. And then that's the foundation. But my question to you is, do you actually believe? Do you actually believe that? Is that the foundation that you're going to build? your life on? Is that a foundation that when the storms of life come, and they will come, and maybe they already are, is that going to hold up to the storms that are coming. Because here's what I would argue, what's gonna actually happen is, you try to hold on to a worldview like that, the storms of life are gonna come, and you're gonna to begin to see where all of the weaknesses, the sand is going to begin to separate, and that house is going to come crashing down. And I know this because I experienced this. As a young boy growing up in a broken family, I had inherited brokenness. from my grandmother to my mom to me, from my grandfather to my my biological father to me. This was what I inherited, was poor foundations and brokenness. And again, when I came to God, I said, I want something more than that. God, would you lead me into a foundation that's strong and that's secure? I want to take a moment to... I've been really trying to speak, I guess, to your heart at the moment, but I want to take a, I want to stop and, and I want to just address your mind for a moment. Because I think that there's a lot of people that they know that their heart says, this is ridiculous, this is a terrible foundation, don't live like this. But their mind convinces them, no, this is the only option. And maybe some of you are in university right now, maybe some of you are studying in the sciences. And listen, in our universities today, this is what is being taught to people over and over again. And by the way, I think it's incredibly ironic. Just just take a moment to think about the irony of a university that's telling you that life is meaningless, but you should care about the environment. Really? You should care about recycling. Really? It's all just an illusion, but you should truly care about the environment. You should truly care about what's happening in Ukraine. Really? You... You really, you're gonna tell me that life is meaningless and all of this is just dumb luck, but you should actually care about that? Again, this, this is the hypocrisy of our age. People don't actually believe that. But they'll give some sort of mental assent to it. Here's my fear: is there some of you would be wooed into this and be tempted to build on that sort of a foundation because of what people like Rosenberg think here's what he says in his book. This is why he makes the conclusions he does. He says, the one persistent question not addressed directly in the pages that follow is the very first one. Is there a God? We already know. And by the way, notice, he realizes that this is a foundational question that all of these other things, these conclusions that he's come to follow from that. And he says, we already know the correct answer to that one, which of course he said, no, God doesn't exist. In the rest of this book, we will take the best reason for atheism, what is it? Science, according to him, and show what else it commits us atheists to believing. So there is this misunderstanding that science forces us that we have to have this worldview. And I've met so many Christians that they think that if they're going to be a Christian, That they can't be a scientist, and if they're going to be a scientist, that they can't be a Christian, or if they do, they need to like keep these two away from each other. When I go to the laboratory, I put on my scientific, you know, coat, and when I come to church, I put on my church clothes sort of idea. I just want to take a moment to tell you that 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 is absolutely not the case. That you can, um, I'm realizing, too, that I don't have the slides that you'll see, so I have to look behind me periodically to make sure I'm keeping up with you on this. I just want to take a moment just briefly to explain to you how Christianity and science work and that they're not in opposition to one another. They just are looking at things from two different perspectives. So first of all, please hear me. I love science. I love science, and and, and I would encourage you, if you're in the sciences, do science. In fact, I was, just doing a, I was just doing a podcast this morning with a friend of mine. He's a, one of our adjunct speakers. He's an anesthesiologist in Ontario. He, lo- he loves being a physician. He loves science. But the problem is, is we, we've injected this nihilism into science thinking that you, know, you can't be a Christian and do science. So let me just briefly walk you through this. Here, here is the difference between science and Christianity. Science sees a world of parts and Christianity sees a world of holes. Here's another way of saying the same thing. Science sees a world of laws, so parts following laws. Christianity sees a world of purpose. Let me try it again, here's another way of putting it. Science sees a determined world, a world in which gravity follows deterministic laws and does not deviate, in which the particulars of the periodic table follow specific laws. They do not deviate. Christianity doesn't see a determined uh, world. It sees a story. One is looking at laws. The other is looking at purpose. One is looking at the part. The other is looking at the whole. So let me just basically break this down for you really simply. Uh, If you could go to the next slide. There is a difference between the parts a thing is made of and the purposeful whole a thing is made for. Notice that you and I will naturally make a distinction between the two. Tonight, if I were to ask you what is that thing that you're sitting on, you wouldn't start breaking it down to the periodic table and tell me what it's made of. You would tell me that it's a chair because you and I naturally define a created thing according to its purpose. Always. Always. We define it according to its purpose. And so this really begins to hone in on how science and Christianity are looking at the same thing. Both science and Christianity appreciate the chair. Science wants to know what the chair is made of. Christianity wants to know what is it made for. Notice that the two are not in opposition. Even in science, they're not in opposition. So if you go to the next slide, you can see that science is, again, concerned with the parts of the universe. You could go to the next one. Now notice, in science, you have two different fields of science. You have have pure science, that's physics, and the physicist is investigating the laws and the particulars and the laws that those particulars are following. Whereas applied science are those of you that are in engineering. You are taking what's learned from physics, what we know about the parts, and it helps us to know how we can arrange those things into purposeful wholes to achieve things, such as building a spaceship. Christianity, then, is looking at the big picture. You see, in engineer, we're looking at what humans have created. What have we engineered? In Christianity, we're asking, what has God created? What has he engineered? And that means we're talking about us. We're looking at who we are. In other words, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What is this all about? Again, science and Christianity are not in opposition. They work great together. They're looking at things from two different but important perspectives. Here's the challenge, though, and this is the reason I'm bringing this up to you. People like Rosenberg, and so many, and those of you in the university, and those of you just in our culture, this is the spirit of our age. This is the modus operandi of a secular culture. Everything is built on this, what I'm talking to you about right now, because everything is viewed from this perspective of a science-only view that says the only real thing that exists are the parts. Notice what Rosenberg says as he concludes everything. He says, ultimately, science and scientism, so scientism is the view that you can explain everything through science, are going to make us give up as illusory, the very thing conscious experience screams at us loudest and longest. Now, pay very careful attention to this because so many people miss this point. When we ask the question, does God exist, we're not just asking if God exists. The atheist is also asking whether or not you exist. Do we exist? Notice how he's gonna move into that and what he concludes. The notion That when we think our thoughts are about anything at all, inside or outside of our minds, I know this sounds absurd, but we will see why this must be so in the next chapter. The physical facts fix all the facts. It's because they do that thinking about stuff is impossible. In other words, you aren't thinking. You're just physical stuff. You're just a periodical table. You're just chemical reactions. That's it. What is more, neuroscience has already made it plain how the brain thinks without its thoughts being about anything at all. Thinking about things is an overwhelmingly powerful illusion. Only, oh sorry, once we learn how this profound illusion is produced, we'll understand why it is hard to cast the illusions of consciousness aside for the real uh, answer to the relentless question about self, mind, soul, free will, and the meaning of life, which of course he already told you, do not exist. But we will also see why it must be so, or why, uh, why, we must, why we must do so. I am arguing that as you look at the question, does God exist, you do not have to do that. You don't have to, uh, listen, I'll just be frank with you. I don't have enough faith to believe that I don't exist that all of this is dumb luck, a powerful illusion, and I just think that I'm conscious having these thoughts, being aware. I want you just to break that down, like think about it. As I'm looking at my children, as I'm walking with them through life, as I'm building this foundation with them, I am absolutely 100% convinced that is not an illusion. But that requires a certain foundation. It means that I believe that I exist, but more than that, it means I believe that God exists. It means that I believe that there, in fact, is a bigger worldview than just the parts, but that there are purposes. And once you start thinking like that, I then come to Jesus and say, Jesus, tell me what the purpose is. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. Teach me why I'm here. I want to be the kind of father that I never had. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, by the way i'm not saying that an atheist can't be a good father but what i am saying is that you will you whatever foundation you're building storms in life are going to beat against that foundation and about against the foundation that you're going to hand off to your children and one of the most important questions that we're asking is will it stand so i want to end by asking that question Will it stand when the storms come? Uh, This happened in a debate between Rosenberg and William Lane Craig. They were debating the question of God's existence. And I want you to know what Rosenberg said as his foundation was challenged. He says, as we know, it's obvious. Think about this. This is Rosenberg. It's obvious that there is, by the way, I don't have a slide for this if you're desperately looking for it. Uh, as we know, it's obvious that there is plenty of suffering in the world. I need to make something of my own personal history clear here. There are a lot of responses to the problem of evil and I find, that I find morally offensive. <laughs> he finds these morally offensive. He doesn't even think morality exists, but, but they're offensive. And I find them morally offensive for a certain reason. I'm the child of Holocaust survivors, All of my family, except my parents, were killed by the Nazis, including two half-brothers of mine. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that is a storm that beats against the foundation and says, did you actually build on sand? Because it cannot hold what you seem to believe exists, morality and evil, and that this was terrible, what happened? But yet you've convinced yourself it's an illusion. Which is it? He then went on to say this. I was quite shocked. He said, in all honesty, Dr. Craig, if you could provide me with any kind of logically coherent account that could reconcile the evident fact of the horrors of human and infrahuman life on this planet over the last 3.5 billion years with the, extensive, with the existence of an uh, all-knowing, all-powerful agent, then I will turn Christian. Man, as I read that, I thought to myself, Wow. Here is somebody who is built on sand, and they know it. But I can't help but wonder if they're just so angry at God they're not willing to change their foundation. Where are you at tonight? What is the foundation that you have been building your life on? What is your answer to the question, does God exist? It's a bigger question. It's a question of Do you believe that purpose exists? Do you believe that morality exists? Do you believe that love exists? Do you believe that meaning exists? Do you believe that the world is bigger than just the parts? Or do you believe that there's actually a purpose to all of this? Because I'm telling you, if you actually have that answer, then it's going to affect the decisions that you're going to make in your life and how you're going to build and what sorts of things you're going to value, like your spouse like your friends, like your family, like your children. gonna impact the way you're gonna build, the decisions that you're going to make. And when those storms in your life hit, you will stand strong. Let me end with a story. I've been pastoring, Vin, how long have you been pastoring? 18 years. 18 years. I've been pastoring just a little bit longer than that. 20 years, no big deal. I'm not, it's not, not, not a competition. Maybe it's 21, but it's not a big deal. No, we've been pastoring for a long time. And it's interesting, Vin, like when you're pastoring, you realize, I mean, this is more than just as a, as a father, what kind of a foundation you're building for your kids, but it's also what kind of a foundation am I giving to you? What kind of a foundation am I encouraging you to build your life on? And it's one, I think it's one of the reasons why I've taken my academic studies so seriously is I don't want to peddle something that's nonsense to you. I want to encourage you to build your life on rock, bedrock. I'll never forget, I was working at a church here in Abbotsford. It was called Emmanuel. And in walked a guy by the name of Dax. He was a young adult. He was a young adult who had tried to take his own life. He was desperate for a foundation that could actually hold. He had already built on sand, and he was looking for something solid. And I had the privilege of introducing him to Jesus. And I began to watch as Dax built his life on sand. On God, on Jesus. And, and I watched as uh, I had the privilege of baptizing him. I, I watched as he had the privilege, as, as he met his spouse at our church. as the, I, I officiated their wedding. I saw as they had children, and he has two girls the same age of my, as my boys. But two years ago, Dax was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, these are some of the hardest moments where you're walking with people through some of the worst storms they will encounter, knowing that he's gonna die. I remember he came over, we were hanging out in my hot tub and in tears, he was just crying out to me and said, Andy, he said, I don't mind dying, man. He goes, but I, my prayer is for my kids. He goes, I just hope, I hope they will see the foundation I've built my life on and that they won't build on anything other than Jesus. That was his prayer, and it's been so interesting to me watching as he is facing death, as he is dying of cancer, and is coming to the end of his life, as he has continued to place his hope and his trust in Jesus, and as that storm has pounded, and pounded, and pounded, and he has remained strong and sturdy for not only himself but for his wife and for his kids as he has built this foundation and he's desperate to give it off to them knowing that God is good even in the worst storms. And it was interesting as I I flew out to meet him. He he lives now in Edmonton. I flew out to meet him because I know he's not going to be here much longer this side of heaven. And I I went out to him and I said, Dax, man, what would what would you say to Christian brothers and sisters like you? What would your encouragement be? And and this is what he said. He said, Andy, if if you truly believe that God is powerful and he loves you, and that is the bedrock you've built your life on, he's like, death has nothing on you. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die because I know God is in control. I know he's powerful, and I know he loves me. I'm going to entrust my life to him to the day I meet him face to face. And then he said this to me. And, man, he and I were just, like, both in tears. As he said, Andy, man, when I get to heaven and I get to meet Jesus, he said, he goes, if my job in heaven is just to be the guy who goes on his hands and knees picking pebbles out of the way for Jesus, he's like, that would be the best job, man. And it was just, that, that's, Dax, that, that's Dax, man. Dax loves Jesus, and he's like, I will be the guy moving pebbles out of the way for Jesus because I've seen what he's done for me. As i built my life on him, I've seen what he's done for me, and the thing that I love about Jesus is Jesus isn't that kind of God. God lifts you and I up, and, and in his humility, in his love for us, he says, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You're a child of the king. You and I have a truly wonderful hope. But I encourage you, as you deal with that question of does God exist every day, as the storms of life hit, that you would continue to over and over again place your trust in Him. I'm going to ask the, um, the worship team to come back on stage. And as they do, I, I want to I read what Rosenberg wrote, but I want to put it in the Christian light. And here's my my challenge to you. If you agree with what I'm reading, what I'm going to read in just a moment, if you agree with that, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because I am convinced that the world does not need soft Christians. The world is in desperate need of Christians who actually believe, not just some sort of, you know, mental ascent, but actually live this out, that are actually building their lives on God and are willing to share that with other people. I was having a conversation recently with a, with a young adult that is a secular person that is going through a deconstruction. It's a secular deconstruction, I asked her, hey, what's your beliefs? What do, you, what, do you, what do you believe? And she goes, well, it's interesting. She goes, I'm currently rethinking them. And I said, well, why, why is that? And she goes, because of all that's gone on in COVID and now with this war, she says, my worldview is incapable of dealing with the level of evil I see in the world. There's a person who's getting real with their worldview, realizing that the foundation she had built was completely inadequate, inadequate to deal with reality. So listen, as I read this, if this is you, I would encourage you to stand up, and I want to pray for you, a prayer of commissioning as you continue to build your lives, that you would be building a solid foundation for you, for your friends, for your family, for your spouse, for your children. So as I read, feel free to stand up if you believe. Is there a God? Yes. What is the nature of reality? What God says it is. What is the purpose of the universe? To love God and love people. What is the meaning of life? Ditto. Why am I here? Because God loves you. Does prayer work? Of course. Is there a soul? Is it immortal? Are you kidding? Is there free will? Obviously. What happens when we die? We experience relationship with or without God forever. What is the difference between right and wrong, good and bad? the way the world ought to be and ought not to be. Why should I be moral? Because it leads to your ultimate flourishing and the flourishing of those around you. Is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid, or anything else you don't like forbidden, permissible, or sometimes obligatory? What God says goes. What is love and how can I find it? God is love and made himself known in the person of Jesus and continues to make himself known through you, his followers. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, I love you so much. And I've seen what you've done in my life, and I've seen what you've done in Dax's life, and I've seen what you've done in so many lives that have placed their hope and their trust in you and have built a foundation on you, the rock. God, I just pray for everyone here that's standing that they would continue day by day to answer that question, do you exist? Yes, you exist, and I'm gonna build my life on it. I'm going to make decisions according to it, and I'm gonna trust and know that when the storms come and they will come, that I will stand because you are strong and that I can be a refuge to those who've built poorly, who have built foolishly foundations that have dissolved, and that I can be a place that they can go for safety, for harbor, and that one day, God, we can build the sorts of foundations and share those foundations, the world that is in desperate need of meaning, hope, purpose, and value. God, help us to be a light in this world, we pray, to your glory and the building of your kingdom. Amen.